and Sulphur community, friends and family. Uh, it is uh, really good to be back with you, uh, especially serving in this capacity. Uh, for those who uh, are uh, unaware kind of what's going on uh, over the past three months, I guess the plan was from January to March that I would take a, a somewhat of a pastoral break. Um, that, that meant that I was free from all of my usual duties of, of uh, lead pastor that, that began, I guess, way back in the spring of 2013, which, which puts us at about the seven-year mark. And that's kind of the time that we really started taking some meaningful steps uh, to plant Sulphur Community Church. There was about three years before that that we were just praying and seeking God and talking to um, friends and, and leaders um, about the, the, you know, the, the potential for planting a church in, in this community. And so, uh, so we had been kind of running for about seven years, and our elders um, just kind of really stepped back and said, you know, you guys have been kind of going for a while, and, uh, you know, w- you know it, we would, we would want to kind of set a break in, uh, in every pastor schedule to some time for rest. Um, and so we planned for mine to be from January to March, kind of the first quarter of, of 2020. Uh, this break meant that um, I was kind of free from conducting uh, meetings and, and uh, attending meetings whatsoever regarding ministry and regarding leadership, with the exception of just a few previously scheduled meetings. Um, I, w- I was free from that. I was taking a break from coordinating activities um, at managing communications uh, with our church, um, so kind of just stepping away from, from all of those things that, that I was uh, kind of balancing and managing. Uh, the goal was simply for me to be a church member. Uh, that was, uh, was our desire for, for myself, for my family, for uh, our church, was just for me to kind of be part of the church and not necessarily always have to be, um, you know, thinking and, and, and strategizing and, and communicating and, and planning and, and just, just, just be. And so that's, that, was the, that was the goal. And uh, in all honesty, uh, and some of you know this, I've talked to you about this, um, it, was, it was kind of a, a bumpy transition into, into that role, uh, to shift into that time of rest. I spent late December, early January still just kind of transitioning some of my uh, responsibilities to, to our elders and our leadership team. And so it was really kind of end of February before I really kind of felt like, you know, okay, I can, I can sit down, I can, I, can, I can chill out for just a minute. Um, and, and so uh, I did that uh, around February, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, it was really, really hard for me to get to that place. Um, if, if those of you who are close to me and know me know that uh, I am a, an extreme control freak, um, and I, uh, I, I pay attention to details, and so it's hard to transition and back out of that and unwind that and just sit down and let, uh, let our leaders do what they do. And, and so th- it took a little while, and that was a little bit of a, a rough transition. And as you all know, uh, once March rolled around, that's, that left me with one month left in my pastoral break. Uh, there was a global pandemic um, that, that kind of took over our, our nation. It had been going on since December across the globe, and it finally kind of arrived uh, on, in North America, I guess, uh, in, Amer- in USA for sure, um, in March. And so um, we found ourselves kind of scrambling um, in, in the middle of March. Uh, knowing that this was going to radically alter the way we functioned as a church. Um, and so we, we kind of had to cut the break short, and that's why I say it was nearly three months of a break. Um, and and um, I, I will say this, it was, um, while it was kind of, it had some ups and downs, I, I will say this, um, many of you had to pick up responsibilities. Um, there, there, were, there were a lot of things that, that I was taking the lead on that, I, that 
we have plenty of capable people to, to do. And so um, I, I know that you guys um, were kind of motivated and, and uh, came with enthusiasm to pick up some of these things and roll with them. And I just want to say that um, my heart is overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude to, to, to you guys, to each person who kind of uh, picked up a, a task or four or five uh, to help during this time. Uh, thankful for our pastors, thankful for our leadership team, and thankful for our, our church members um, for that time. Um, and I want to especially thank um, my wife, Ashley. And, and the reason being is because like, she had to bear a, a, a heavier load, I would say. And I don't, I don't, you know, don't want um, to put a light on that, but, but I guess just due to her proximity to me uh, and just kind of her uh, being familiar with all of the intricate details of my responsibilities, um, and as accountability for me not to pick something up and do it, uh, she picked up a heavy load. And so um, when you see her, um, thank her and uh, tell her how much you appreciate her and love her because she did pack a, a load and, and her schedule never did change. She just kind of added more to it. Um, and so my time of rest, it was kind of a mixed bag, if I can be perfectly honest with you. In God's sovereign grace and in his timing, this break couldn't have been more appropriate in the season that I had it. Um, the goal for me was rest. Uh, that was kind of the, the priority, uh, but life inevitably goes on. It inevitably moves. And so um, th there was literally the day that we announced uh, my break, uh, family issues arose um, just in our immediate family that would be nearly impossible for me to manage while trying to balance uh, my leadership capacity here at Sulphur Community. So the timing was just really kind of on point for that. Um, projects at work was going to require closer attention and more concentration. It would have made me difficult to keep up with kind of everything. And then there's a global pandemic, again, <laughs> that, that kind of happened. And so you can see how this break was a bit of a mixed up bag of ups and downs uh, for me. But uh, there, were some, there were some great highlights. Uh, there, there really was. Um, there, it, this time was extremely beneficial. Uh, Ashley and I were able to get away for a few days. We were able to go attend a conference on uh, church leadership and, and multiplication. Um, and in that time, I guess while we were there, we were able to get some clarity and some vision about how to kind of move our church into the next season of ministry. Um, so I'm really kind of excited to, to get back in and start thinking about how we implement some of the things that we've learned and, and, and what does it look like for our church to kind of embrace some, um, I guess, some new ideas uh, about ministry and how we're going to uh, achieve the vision of this church of becoming a New Testament church that exists to make much of God in our neighborhoods and the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. That's the goal for us as, a, as an individual believer, but also as a, as a church family. Um, and so I was able to do that. I was able to get outdoors. I was able to do some hiking and some camping, some things that, that I love and was, has, have been unable to do for several years, but am um, but, able to find some time to do that now. Um, and, and I was able to, to benefit, this is kind of the highlight, is I was able to benefit from the ministry of this church. And I'm going to tell you something, Sulphur Community Church, you are such a blessing. Uh, you are such a blessing. Uh, it is so cool to be part of such a fun-loving group of people. Thank you so much um, for, for just being who you are and just being crazy Jesus followers uh, and loving one another well and looking for ways to, to love our community. I believe that our church, uh, her greatest days are ahead of us, that we're, um, we're going to kind of plow into the next uh, you know, decade um, with, with a lot of opportunities 
Um, we are a growing church, uh, and there's a lot of you who are looking for ways to, uh, to share your gifts with this church and with this neighborhood, and we want to find ways to kind of get you on the, on the highway for that with us um, and, and to be able to use those gifts. And I just kind of keep thinking about it. Every time I think about our church in the next season, I think about what William Carey said, the Baptist missionary said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Uh, and that just kind of sticks with me every time I hear that. And so I'm humbled. I am grateful. And hopefully I am better prepared to move with you all into the future um, in this next season of ministry. So thank you so much. Um, it's good to be back. Um, today, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of Last week, I guess, uh, where we were Easter Sunday, uh, we saw where the shepherd boy, David, um, he showed up to the front lines of battle. He was delivering lunch for his, for his brothers who were fighting the Philistines uh, on the front lines, and he showed up there with lunch. And the, when he showed up there, the Philistine army was uh, just massively shaming God's people. Uh, God's people were, were uh, afraid. They were frozen in fear. They couldn't move forward, and they were being taunted by the Philistine army. And after a series of banner back and forth uh, between David and Goliath and, and the rest of the Philistines, and even David and his brothers, there was banner back and forth about that. The Lord delivers Goliath and delivers the Philistines into the hands of David. Um, and, and while there were many implications that we learned from our passage last week, one of the, one of the big takeaways from last week that we need to kind of remember, we need to, as every time we come across this story, we need to, uh, we need to make sure to apply what we learned last week to this, uh, to this passage, and that's to understand, that's to embrace the reality that you uh, are not to put yourself in the place of David, as so many of us are accustomed to doing. So many books have been written. So many sermons have been preached about you are David and the Goliath. It, it's your problems all, all around you that surround you. And there's a way to defeat it. There's a way with the power of God for you to step in and to defeat you, the Goliaths in your life. That's the kind of the, the, the garbage uh, uh, that's being uh, preached and written about. Uh, this, this, this passage, the point of this passage, as well as every other passage in all of Scripture, is to point us to the true hero. Point us to the, to the one who runs to the front lines every time to rescue us, and that is Jesus. That's the point of this passage, that, that actually David is to represent a greater, more true hero to come, and that is Jesus. And in fact, our role in this passage is the Israelite army, right? That's who we can most identify with, if we're being really honest, that we are frozen in fear, that we are unable to even move forward, much less defeat the enemy. We need a hero. We, we need someone to rescue us. And so I want to try to connect the gaps between that moment and where we're going to be today. David's popularity after this point rose among all of the people uh, where, where Saul was the sitting king and, and reigned as king over the people of Israel. Uh, and as you can imagine, he became very jealous uh, they started writing songs and writing poetry about how awesome David was, and Saul was cool and all, but David is just like, man, he's awesome. And so you can imagine there was some jealousy that rose up in Saul. And at that time, an evil spirit had overtaken Saul. And he, th there began this series of murder attempts on, on David's life against David. And during this time, uh, while David was uh, just you know, dealing with uh, Saul in his, uh, his kind of hot and cold nature, uh, he became very... Uh, good friends, best of friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. 
And Jonathan uh, would actually be one that would save David's life multiple times by, uh, by just uh, delivering him from the hand of his father, Saul. And David would end up running for his life while Saul hunted him like a dog. That was kind of what, take, what had taken place after the moments uh, with, with the, the, the confrontation with Goliath. And even though David had a, had a few opportunities to defend himself against Saul, we see this unusual display of honor. We see this unusual respect towards Saul because he was Israel's king. And that's important to know. Where we're going to go today, that's important for us to, to remember that, that in the midst of someone trying to take David's life, he even having an opportunity to defend himself multiple times would not only refrain from taking the opportunity to defend himself and to, and to end Saul's life, but he would rebuke others whenever they had something to say about it. Let's remember that. Let's keep that in our minds. And in his pursuit of David, Saul would end up taking his own life at this battle with, uh, with the, the Philistines. Um, they were closing in, and Saul knew that his life was going to be over at that point, and so he took his own life. And this chapter of David's life is now closing uh, of this torment that uh, he endured with Saul, and this new one is opening up where he's going to now be anointed as, as king over the tribe of Judah. And that's important to remember because we're kind of walking through a, a sequence, a timeline. He is not, he's not king over all of Israel. He, he, he is first anointed king over the tribe of Judah. And then this conflict arose when the commander of Saul's army, a guy by the name of Abner, uh, took one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth is his name. Um, you can name your next son that. That's a good name. And installed him as king of Israel. Over the remaining tribes of Israel, uh, one of Saul's sons has now taken the reign. And as you can imagine, war breaks out between the house of David and the house of Saul. And later, Ishbosheth would be ambushed in his home while he was taking a nap. A few, a few men from the tribe of Benjamin ambush his home and take his life. And after this, the remaining tribes of Israel that was under the reign of Ishbosheth uh, would go to David and would, and would align themselves, uh, place their allegiance with David. Their desire uh, was to have David as their king. And so now this new chapter. Uh, of David's life begins where he is king over all of Israel. And our text is going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so if you have your device, if you have your, your Bible in front of you, uh, let's go there. Uh, there's a few places we're going to go in Scripture today. We're going to focus on 2 Samuel 7. We're going to be in Psalm 23, and we're going to be paralleling with John chapter 10. And so if you want to kind of get your places marked for that, that's kind of where we're going to be um, for our time this morning. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where we pick up this morning. In verse 1, it says this, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So at this point in, in the life of David, he has been established as the king of Israel. God took David from the pasture, delivered him, won battle after battle after battle, and now he has made him the greatest king. And the land is at rest, it says. The kingdom is prospering. And David's looking around at all of the, the peace and the prosperity and the good life. And then as he pans across all the things that God has given him, his crosshair stop at the tabernacle. 
at the tent of, of, of the place where God dwells. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a tent that God had instructed Israel when they, were, they went into the wilderness, when they were delivered from Egypt's hand. Uh, this, was the, this was what God instructed them to build for his dwelling place. And they were to, he was going to be with his people. They were going to move around together. And so David says to Nathan, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. Uh, I have all of this stuff. I have all this. And I look over there, and there's the dwelling place of God is in this rickety little tent. I should build something from cedar, something nice, something pretty, something, something big and strong. And Nathan responds with, hey, man, go and, and do what's in your heart to do. And then there's this plot twist. You see, Nathan's a prophet of God, and so he's, he's there next to the side of David. And, he, and God speaks through Nathan on multiple occasions. You'll learn through Scripture uh, of things to give a word to David about. And in this moment, God didn't give a word to Nathan to instruct David to do anything. Nathan just said, hey, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And that's good intentions, right? I want to do something great for my God. I want to, he deserves more. He deserves everything. And so that was kind of David's heart. But look at the plot twist in verse 4. That same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? That was God's response to David when he wanted to build him a house, build him something better than a tent. David, did, you, did I tell you I needed a house? David, did I ever say that I'm tired of this drafty little tent? That I need something better? Did I ever come to you with that? You're trying to do me a favor? Like, like I need something from you? You think I need to be provided with some kind of cedar house? And here's the reality. If God needed a place to live, he wouldn't be going to David for it. He, he wouldn't go to David and say, hey, man, can you spot me a couple trees so I can get my place fixed up nice? That's not who our God is. And watch this and, and pay attention very closely to these, this next section. God is continuing to draw this covenantal line, this promise that he made with Noah and with Abraham and with Moses. And now he's continuing to connect it to David. This is the covenant that he makes with David. He starts in verse 8 and he says, thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over all my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. You see that covenantal language that, that we've, done, learn, we've learned about when we, when, we, uh, when we looked at the life of Noah, when we looked at the life of Abraham, when we looked at the life of Moses, and now with David. And so... Who is building who a house? David's not building one for God. God's going to build one for David. God created all this. 
He created everything, and he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need anything from David. He doesn't need anything from me, and he doesn't need anything from you. And I love this, and you skip down to verse 18 of that, that, that same chapter. This is David's reaction to that. He says, it says here, then David, uh, King David went in and sat before the Lord. If you, if you underline anything in your Bible, if you mark anything in your Bible, circle, underline, highlight that word, sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. O Lord God, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. If you underline in your scriptures, underline, circle, highlight the word know. Sat and no. David started this discussion feeling like he needed to do a favor for God, that he needed to do something for God. And, and by the time God's through with him, he's sitting and he's knowing and just wondering at the glory of God. That's the, that's the normal response when we have an encounter with God. Salvation is not primarily about us doing something for God. It's about knowing something about God. It's about sitting stunned in the presence of God, amazed and overwhelmed and grateful for what he's done for us. That's our response when we come before our God. But the house that God would build for David was not going to be a temple it wasn't going to be this great mansion. It wasn't going to be anything made of brick and wood. It was going to be a house that was built on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ at the cost of his own blood. At the cost of his own son, that was the house that God would build for David. And yes, in Christianity, in, in our faith, you will do things for God. But it's not because God needs us to do things for him. God doesn't need anything. We do them because we are stunned. We are amazed at what he's done for us. Our God is not a weak, poor God who has needs. He's made everything with the word of his mouth. He is a limitless supply of resources for his mission. He has no needs. He's never had a need. And here's the deal. Even if he did have a need, you think he's coming to me and you for it? You think he's coming to anybody for it? God speaks from Psalm 50 and says this in verse 12, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. That's God's position. And that's our position. You see what, what that shows us, that God doesn't approach us with needs. Rather, the gospel itself, the good news, produces in us a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude that wants to give back to God. That that's a, God, that's what we can bring to you. We know you don't need it. We know that, that, that you are greater than anything that we can lay before your feet, but this is the way we show gratitude for what you've done for us, what we know about you and what you've done for us. 
And so we want to glorify you with our hands and with our, with our lives and with our mouths and, and the way we serve. And we want to see your kingdom come, this good kingdom that, that you reign over. We want to see that come to earth, and so we want to be a part of that. And we glorify him, not by talking about all the great things that we're doing about him, not by taking pictures of all the cool things that we're doing uh, for him, but just by acknowledging how great how wonderful and the awesome things that he's done for us and, and in us and through us and for us. And as King David would come to realize, and what, what you and I can also know is that with God, and that's important, with God, we too lack nothing and have no needs. And I know that's some strong language. I know that that might come off as uninformed and disconnected from reality, especially today, especially in the season that we're in, in these unusual days that we're in, what has happened over the last few weeks, uh, just uh, locally, globally, with this pandemic, has, has created this extreme sense of need in all of us, hasn't it? Like anyone who's going to the grocery store, Especially on that first week, whenever we were kind of instructed to stay at home and kind of lock down and isolate ourselves, you, you went to the grocery store and, and you experienced what many people experienced, that the shelves were just completely wiped out. There was nothing there. No produce, no fruits, no, no meat, no, no milk. And you couldn't find a roll of toilet paper to save your life. And you, and you could still hardly find hand sanitizer and basic cleaning supplies. And I know that I speak for many of you when I say that the sight of these bare shelves, that experience, the lack of basic supplies, created this sense of need. It created a sense of need. And many of you, you desperately need a break from your kids, right? It might not be the grocery store thing, but you're like, you know what, I've, I've about had it. You know, I'm here locked down with these kids. I have, for the first time in my life, I've come extremely intimate with the schedule of my kids, right? At 7 a.m., they get up, they start talking at the top of their lungs, and then by about 9 p.m., they, they'll, they'll kind of wind it down, and then we can go back to bed. That's kind of their schedule, and I just need some quiet time. That's what I need. That's what I'm in need of, right? I, that, that, is that you? And on, on a more serious note, so many of you are in need of clarity right now. Right? Like you, you, you have this sense of need. Like, when will I get to graduate? When will I get to actually walk across? When will the thing that I've been dreaming about since kindergarten come to fruition? When, when will that happen? Will it happen? You need clarity about that. You need clarity about when I might go back to work, if I'm going back to work. Can I go back to work? When, 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 when are we going to actually be able to get married? Man, for, for crying out loud, I can't even give a proper burial for the loved ones that we're losing right now. You need some clarity right now, and that's a serious thing. These are all the things that have happened over the past few weeks, and it's created the sense of need in us. And most of the time, when people find themselves in need, and listen closely, the tendency is to panic. The tendency is is to panic. Have you panicked at all over the past couple of weeks? I'm going to try something a little bit different. If that's you, I want you to own it. I want you to just kind of drop it in the comments. Say, hey, busted, me. 
You don't have to go into any details or anything like that, but just let's go ahead and own it, that you, you freaked out a little bit over the past couple of weeks. You, you reacted in ways that you normally wouldn't react. That'll give us a way to connect and pray together, pray for you and pray with one another. So if that's you, you drop that there. If that's someone, someone you see that comment, you, you engage that person and, and you let them know you're praying for them and, and say a prayer for them. Everyone, everyone, including myself, has been perplexed with the toilet paper rapture. Everybody has been, com- like, just, that's weird, right? Like, everybody had the question, like, okay, we're in this, like, tense moment. Why did everyone go run to the grocery store and buy toilet paper of all things? But this just goes to prove my point. This proves my point. The reason there's been a, a, a toilet paper shortage it's because we freaked out. Man, we just freaked out. I didn't need toilet paper. But when I saw everybody frantically buying toilet paper, I panicked. Get toilet paper. I don't know why. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, the reason it seems random is because, theoretically speaking, the demand for toilet paper should have remained the same, right? Like, that was what I was scratching my head about. Like, we're not going to the bathroom any more frequently than we were before. So why is everybody freaking out? And the reason is because that's just the way we respond when we have a sense of need. We have a tendency to panic. And here's the good news. Here's, here's, here's the good news. There's a better way. Right? There, there, there's a better way. While we are in some very strange and very uncharted waters, and although I do not like the, like the fact at all that we have to keep a distance from one another, these days have not been normal, and I love it. I love it. I love seeing all the good things that are coming out of these days. I love the fact that there's more time spent with, with parents and with children, even though some blocks of hours in the day are more stressful than others. Um, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. The new normal is not normal at all. And I love it, and I hope we don't go back to normal. That, I, I said that a few weeks ago, uh, that, man, I'm, just, I'm really thankful. There's a lot of bad and terrible things that have come of all of this, but some of the good things that have come of this is that we've been kicked out of our rhythms. We've been kicked out of our normal, and there's this whole new normal, and I don't want to go back to some of the things that we were doing before if we can help it. But panic does not have to be the new norm for us. It doesn't have to be the new norm for us. There's a better way. David found it, and you and I can have it also. The the better way is actually found in one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Many of you, without even knowing it, probably have some parts of it memorized. It's the 23rd Psalm, which was written by David. And David just had some things figured out, man, that I don't think we've had figured out. We we haven't figured it out yet. And I lovingly say that because of how David starts this Psalm. In Psalm 23, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Another translation puts it this way. I lack nothing. Another translation would put it this way. I have all that I need. So imagine that. David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I lack nothing. 
I shall not want. And David was this guy who had some very high highs and some very low lows. He's been on, in, down in the valley and he's been on the mountaintop. And in all of these circumstances, David is able to say, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This morning, Psalm 23 is going to help us replace this panic with peace. That's what this psalm's going to help us, to get to this place where I realize that because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I have everything that I need. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place? How, does, how, do, I, how do I lovingly uninvite panic from my home and, and usher in peace into my home? And it's found in this psalm. God wants you to know him as shepherd. That's what, that's what he wants. Think about it. David is only able to say that I lack nothing only after first professing that the Lord is my shepherd. That's the only way he is able to say that. And now here's the problem with that. The majority of us, we, we have little to no experience with sheep. And if you're that one dude who's going to say, oh, no, man, I, I got a pasture full of sheep. I know exactly what's going on here. Please don't comment below. We get it. You know what's up, but for the majority of us, we don't have relevance to shepherding and, and dealing with sheep. But we have to stop, right? Like Because our tendency when we read this, because there's, no, um, because there's no experience with this, we tend to just kind of read on by uh, and, and find the parts that are more relevant to us, the parts that we can relate to, but we need to stop there. We need to excavate this analogy. We need to dig in to mine the text. We need to understand what's going on here. And if for no other reason than the fact that Jesus picks up on this same analogy in John chapter 10, in the gospel of John chapter 10, verse 11, many of you are familiar with this verse, but if you want to go there, you can follow along. It says this, Jesus is standing there and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So for those of us who've surrendered our lives to Jesus and, and, and we submit to him as our Lord and we follow him as disciples, he wants us to know him as shepherd, as a shepherd. So we understand David more. We'll see Jesus more. Joey was saying last week, the life of David is meant to point us to a greater reality in the person of Jesus. And David uses this analogy because he was a shepherd. He was the son of a shepherd. This was very natural for him. Not only that, but the ancient Near East, kings were to shepherd their people. That was how they ruled. And David became king of Israel. He is Israel's shepherd king. Not only that, but the story of, that God has written David into is a story in which God rescues millions of Israelites from the captivity in Egypt in what we know as the Exodus. And as the Israelites reflect on God's actions during the exodus, uh, during this time in the wilderness and the wandering around, these actions are referred to as that of a shepherd. The psalmist would say in chapter 78, verse 52, Psalms, he says, Then he led out his people, referring to the exodus, like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So when David uses this imagery, you need to know something. There is no analogy that makes more sense to him. He uses the richest possible analogy that he can find to unpack for us what it's like to relate 
to God. And when David refers to God as his shepherd, he's, he's pulling back the curtain and he's revealing to us what God is like, what kind of character he has. And so it's important for you to hear this. God's identity, who he is, is that of a shepherd. And his identity must inform our identity. He is creator. We are created. Who he is defines who we are. So if God is a shepherd, what does that make us? That makes us sheep. And the more we understand God's role as shepherd, the more we will understand our role as sheep. When David is saying that God is his shepherd, he's saying that the Lord is my, my leader. And you see that in those opening verses of Psalm 23. He leads me, he leads me, he leads me. He's my, he's my leader. And in the context David's writing, shepherds didn't drive their sheep from behind like we're used to seeing in the West, if you've been familiar, if you've ever seen that. Uh, it's kind of being, the, the flock is being driven from behind. But in, in this context, that, that wasn't the case. No, they, they, they went before. So the shepherds would go before, ahead of their sheep. And so when you start thinking about that, you can kind of get a better understanding of what Jesus was saying back in John chapter 10 in verses 3 and 4 when he says to him, the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The shepherd was responsible. Listen to me. The shepherd was responsible for the path and the pace. The shepherd was responsible for the path and the pace, and the sheep's responsibility was to simply follow the shepherd. The shepherd was responsible for the wares and the winds to determine where the sheep would go and when they would go there. And it's the sheep's responsibility to simply follow the shepherd. So don't you see how this might parallel a little bit with that Exodus story? Where there was the people of, of God were in the wilderness and they were following God by cloud by day and, and fire by night. And, and they just kind of cued off of whatever God did. Wherever God led them. Whenever God led them there. And they did that for 40 years. And David was all too familiar with this. And if you recall, David was anointed way back in 1 Samuel 16. That's whenever, the, that's whenever he, uh, uh, they, they went to, to uh, Jesse's house and found David and anointed him king there. And then there was about a 15-year lapse before he actually took the throne. He was actually sent right back out into the field to shepherd the sheep. And so he's familiar with God's pace. He's familiar with God's path. He's familiar with following God on his timing. And the reason I bring that up is because if you found yourself in this sense of need, this place of, 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 of panic over these past few weeks, well, there's this good chance that it's because you have questions about the path and the pace. That you have questions about the winds and the wares. God's identity informs our identity and God is our leader. And if God is the, our leader, what does that make us? Followers. That makes us followers. And if it feels like God isn't moving right now, if it feels like he's not uh, 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 clearly showing you the path or, or clearly setting the pace, 
then your response is the same response as the sheep following a shepherd. To wait and to watch. To wait and to watch. That's the responsibility of a follower. When David is saying that God is his shepherd, he's saying that he is my leader. Not just that, he's saying he's my owner. Like the, the shepherd is my owner. And I know that's weird choice of terminology. I know it's weird words to say, but I believe it because Jesus says it in the passage in John chapter 10. Look at verse 12 with me. He said this, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus is drawing this correlation between ownership and, and care. And this is true in nearly every circumstance of life. Owners care the most. Owners feel the most responsibility for what's in charge, what's in their charge. They feel the heaviest weight on their shoulders. Brothers and sisters, Jesus bought you. You are his. He paid for you in full. He owns you. Therefore, no one cares more deeply for you than he does. And I need you to listen up. If you've kind of just been, if you're chatting in your living room right now, or if you're just kind of like zoned off, or you're looking at something else, I need you to kind of focus in and listen to this for me. This is very important. No one feels more responsible for your life than Jesus does. Let me say that again. No one feels more responsible for your life than Jesus does. Would you let that just sink in? Let that just kind of, Simmer for just a minute. And hear what Jesus says in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you belong to him. You're his. And if Jesus is your owner, what does that make you? His possession. And not just any possession, a valued possession. And this is so important to understand and to embrace this because when we belong to God, we become prey. Not like P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y, that there's a predator. Uh, when belonging, uh, belonging to God makes us at odds with an enemy who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. And we are no more vulnerable than in the midst of chaos, in the midst of overreaction, in the midst of panic. God wants us to know him as shepherd. Shepherd is his identity. That's how God wants us to relate to him. And his identity as shepherd brings us peace. It brings peace to our reality, not panic. Because he is a, our leader, we don't have to worry about the future right now. I know that sounds kind of like, yeah, that's, you know, pie in the sky stuff, but this is what the scriptures tell us. That because he is our leader, because he is our shepherd, we don't have to worry about the path and the pace. He's got it. He's in charge of it all. And because he is owner, we are cared for, we are protected, and we are kept in his hands. That we are a valued possession. 
that He gave His Son for us. That's how valuable we are. And so we're kept and we're protected. You might not have all that you want, but in Christ you have everything you need. Everything you need. So do you find yourself wanting right now? Do you find that, that, that sense of, of wanting right now? And if you find yourself in this place right now, in this place of want right now, is it possible that you're looking to something or someone else to shepherd you? Have you, have you tried being your own shepherd? That's the tendency that we tend to take. But some of us will use social media as our shepherd. That that's the thing that informs our identity. That's the thing that informs everything that I think about and how I see the world. Some of us, we use the news media as our shepherd to guide us, to set the pace, to set the path, to set the wins and the wares. What are you setting up as your shepherd right now? Do you have that want? You need to start honestly digging in and asking yourself, what's shepherding me right now? What's guiding me right now? And can we all just agree with David this morning that the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have all that I need. I don't want anything else. Maybe you've tuned in with us this morning uh, online or, or wherever you are. And after hearing me ramble on, uh, you've come to realize that God is in fact a shepherd. But, he, but he's not my shepherd. That I, I've got a different shepherd. That you, that you are a sheep, but you are without a good shepherd. That you haven't come to this place yet where you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I belong to Him. Let me share with you your reality apart from Christ. The prophet Isaiah would say in chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And you know what that means? Every single one of us are guilty of wandering away from God. Every single one of us are guilty of this. Each one of us are looking to other people and to other things to shepherd our lives. But here's the good news. Continuing in that same verse, the Lord has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, the sins of us all, so the, the result of us wandering away from God is separation with the one who created us, the one who made us. But God came after us. God laid down his, his own son as a sacrifice, as an atonement to cover our sins, to cover our wandering and our rebellion. And the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed, and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The reality is, apart from Jesus, you're helpless. You're helpless. Your relationship with your Creator is broken, and you need a Savior. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This morning, Jesus is inviting you into his fold. He's inviting you into his sheepfold. He wants to be your leader, and he wants to be your good shepherd. Would you come to him? Would you follow him? I want, you to, I want to ask you, wherever you are, just kind of uh, get in a, 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 
a place by yourself, if that's just kind of just bowing your heads, closing your eyes, or just kind of in, in a mode of meditation. And I want to I read a psalm over you, and it's a prayer. And I want that prayer to become our prayer. I want that prayer to become your prayer. And so if you would, do that now, and I want to read Psalm 51, the first 12 verses of that psalm. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom and the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for those uh, who have, uh, God, just inwardly or verbally uh, agreed with those words out loud, uh, God, in their own hearts and in their own lives. Uh, Father, I pray that you would begin to restore all of us. I pray, Father, that uh, through, the, through the message of your word, of the, the, the instruction given to us, uh, of the, the life of David, God, that you would bring us to a place in your kindness of repentance. For God, in you we lack nothing. And we have been running around like a bunch of crazy people for three weeks thinking we have needs. Let your people, let your people tell a different story to the watching world. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.